Dan Dickow here for Gonzaga Nation SI and the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Wanted to break down a little bit of what the NCAA Selection Committee looks at uh, this time of year. Obviously, Gonzaga has qualified for the NCAA tournament due to the automatic bid in the WCC Conference Tournament. They would have been in regardless had they win or lose because uh, against St. Mary's in that title game because each conference runs a conference tournament outside of the Ivy League. Ivy League is the only uh, conference in the country that doesn't run a season-ending conference tournament. The league champion of the Ivy League automatically gets the bid to the NCAA tournament. But every other league runs a tournament, and the winner of that tournament gets the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. And so that's one of the reasons this championship week creates so much excitement, uh, so much stress, so much attention uh, amongst college basketball fans. You know, you look at a team from our area, Eastern Washington, down in Cheney, <clears throat> they won or they won a share of the Big Sky Conference regular season title with they shared it alongside Montana State. Well, Eastern Washington lost in the first round of the Big Sky Tournament on a buzzer beater to Northern Arizona. So their season is done. It's ended. They don't have a chance to advance then for that automatic qualifier, the conference tournament title, um, such as Montana State, who they shared the conference league title with. Montana State went all the way to the finals of the tournament in the Big Sky Tournament. They won it, so they get the automatic bid. What happens now if you're a team such as Eastern Washington, if you're a league champ but you don't win your tournament, you're in the NIT. So that's how um, the, the, the field for the NCAA tournament is automatically populated. That's how it's begun to be populated uh, for the NIT. But that leaves 29 or so uh, at-large bids for the NCAA selection committee to choose. And they have a number of uh, criteria that they use to select. Um, there's seven or eight different things to look at, but the key things that the NCAA tournament committee looks at is what's your record, one. What is your net ranking, um, which is a computer-based model um, to predict how good you have played against your opponents uh, as well as your opponent's opponents. So it has to, it, it accumulates what your strength of schedule is, what your opponent's strength of, of schedule has been throughout the season as well. The net ranking, as I made a uh, mention to, uh, is something that the selection committee really looks at when they look at the uh, seeding for the NCAA tournament, who should be in. Uh, and then that offers a little bit of insight as to where those teams will be sent. Typically, if you're fighting for a one seed, they're going to put you as close uh, in a pod to your home location as possible. That's why in years past, you've seen Gonzaga play in Seattle. You've seen them play in Salt Lake City or Portland. So typically, if you're a one seed, you're going to be at the place that's closest to your home location, which allows more of your fan base to travel. Um, so the NCAA will try to do that in many situations, circumstances, keep teams as close to possible um, so that allows people to travel, but there's not an exact science to it. There's not a perfect, uh, algorithm to how they do that. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get shipped, uh, into a different time zone of the country. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about some of the bracketologists, uh, and some of their predictions. Uh, you know, the, the furthermost West 
uh, pods in the first round and the second round this year are Sacramento and Denver. So I personally would expect to see Gonzaga in one of those two pods. But if you look at some of the other teams that are from the West Coast that are really high in the net rankings, UCLA currently top four in the net, Arizona about the same net ranking as Gonzaga right now. Um, cause Gonzaga sits at eight. I believe Arizona Gonzaga's at six. I believe, uh, Arizona sits at eight or nine last I checked last night. But the reason that's important is maybe in the eyes of the selection committee, they feel UCLA or Arizona is more worthy of that location. So lots of different things to be, uh, looked at. One thing that always comes up and people make this comment, what do your eyes tell you? Well, the NCAA selection committee has said on multiple occasions they don't look at the eye test. They have a certain criteria that they go by, and that's how they slot their teams, one through however, and then that's how they build the bracket in as they start to put in these automatic qualifiers from conference tournaments as at-large teams that are uh, absolutely set to be in the tournament kind of get solidified as being one in and then two, a seed range of where they should be and then three, location of where they should be. But um, you know, when you look at it now, the net ranking takes into consideration, like I said, your schedule, your record, your schedule, your opponent's strength of schedule. And what they have done is they've broken out your games into one of four quadrants. So you'll hear a lot at this time of year, hey, this team has a quad one win. This team has a couple quad four losses that have really hurt their resume. Um, or they've been really good in quad two and quad three, and they haven't dropped any. Well, really what it does is the the NCAA, turn, the NCAA has made these four quadrants, and I'm going to read those four descriptions for you to, to you really quick. And the quadrants have differentiators based on where the team that you're playing or beat played is ranked. So it's 21 or 38 or 170, whatever it may be. So that's your net ranking. And then the quad within it is the title of the game, I guess, that you could call it as to be the importance or how good of a win or loss that was, depending on the quad. So with that quad setup, there's four. It determines what the ranking is. And then within that ranking, it becomes a quad one, depending on if you're playing at home against that team. A quad two would be, or excuse me, a, a, a home game, an away game, or a neutral site game. So it has different different differentiating factors to be labeled a quad one win uh, as opposed to a quad two, depending on where the game is played. So for it to be a quad one win, you have to, at home, beat a team, <clears throat> excuse me, that is ranked in the top 30 of the net. So if Gonzaga were to beat St. Mary's, which they did at home, that St. Mary's was a top 10 team at the time. So that is a quad one win. Now, they, at the other determining factors for a quad one win is if you're on the road, if you win a road game at a net ranked team one through 75, or if it's a neutral site game, one through 50. So Gonzaga having beat St. Mary's in the title game, they were still top 12, top 15 in the net at the time. That becomes another quad one victory for Gonzaga. It's a quad one game. Quad two looks like any home game that you have versus a 31 through 75 ranked team. In a way game, 
in a quad two is 76 through 135. A neutral site would be 51 through 100. Quad three, 76 to 160 at home, 135 to 240 away, 101 to 200 neutral site. And quad four, which Gonzaga has done as good a job as they can to stay away from these games, these opportunities of scheduling in the non-conference, but unfortunately you're going to get some of these on occasion. Any game, any home game against a team ranked in the net 161 or higher on the road 241 or higher or any neutral site game 201 or higher. Now the reason this becomes so interesting and so unique with the neutral site game to categorize what quad the game was in was is when you go back and you look at what so many of these teams try to do in their non-conference. And a lot of people say, why isn't there a home and home with this team on campus versus off camp, off campus sites? Well, many times these teams won't agree to play unless they're neutral site games where they maybe neutralize a little bit of that home court advantage, yet they can still play a really good team that maybe they think will help them in the long range in the net. You look at uh, Gonzaga's played in many of these games over the years. St. Mary's has begun to play in some of these games. Um, you know, a lot of non-conference schedules that teams put together, you're trying to look at your opponent and figure out how good is this team going to be? Where will they fall in the net where maybe we can get uh, a quad one or a quad two win an opportunity? It becomes really important uh, for your mid-major teams. Now, I'm not talking Gonzaga. St. Mary's really doesn't even fall into that category as far as how this goes because they've been so good the last few years. But you're talking about kind of your Santa Clara uh, level teams, maybe your second place team in the Missouri Valley or the Ohio Valley Conference. You might only have one or two quad one opportunities in the entire year. You might have only a handful of quad two opportunities. So you really have to make the most of that to bolster your resume. So if by chance you make an NCAA tournament, your net ranking is fairly high, or if you are second place in your league, first place in your league or second place, and you don't win the conference tournament, you still try to bolster yourself and give yourself in every opportunity you can uh, to have a nice resume. Now, where it's become difficult and where it's very interesting is so many of these power conference leagues have gone to an expanded schedule. So they might play 18 or 20 non-league games, uh, sometimes even 22 now. The problem that creates for mid-major schools is less opportunities for really good mid-major schools to have quad one quad two opportunities what it really does to help these quad one teams in these power conference teams is it gives them the ability to pad those quadrant one wins or those opportunities so for example gonzaga they'll play as more as difficult a schedule as they can find and in quad one this year, they're six and four. In quad two games, they're five and oh. St. Mary's, on the other hand, two and three in quad one games, seven and two in quad two games. So Gonzaga's scheduled as good as they can. So quad one wins, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, the Kentucky neutral site game. You're looking at Michigan State neutral site game. Uh, you're looking at Alabama neutral side game. Those would be quad one opportunities outside of the league. Um, so that's one reason, you know, Gonzaga schedule is the way that they do in the non-conference. Now, 
to show you an example for the power conferences and how it is structured or how they try to schedule, you look at the Big 12. And hands down, in my eyes, the Big 12 is the best league in basketball this year. It's probably the best league the last couple of years. Um, you look at the amount of teams that are unbelievably good in that league. Well, how many quad one opportunities do you think those teams have? A ton. Take, for example, Kansas, 15 and six in quad one games. Texas, 11 and eight in quad one games. Baylor, 11 and nine in quad one games. So really a lot of times what these uh, power conferences doing by adding more conference games, you're giving your teams more opportunities to get wins that are recognized as good by the NCAA selection committee. Now, I don't agree with it. I think, uh, you know, that's a way to kind of tip the scales in, in your favors with scheduling. And a lot of teams have gotten uh, creative with how they go about scheduling their non-conference because they know they're going to have so many quad one opportunities. You know, I've always fallen uh, to the, the thought process of, Let's get more of the mid-majors in. If you're hovering around 500 in your league, even if it is a great league, you've had opportunities to prove your worth throughout the year. I don't think you should be in the NCAA tournament with a negative or with a 500 record in league. But based on how the analytics and the numbers and the net rankings and the quad one, quad two wins, many times it builds up their resume so that the NCAA selection committee uh I don't want to say falls for it, but gives those teams the benefit of the doubt over some of these mid-majors, where many times these mid-majors never had an opportunity to play uh, enough quad one win, quad one or even quad two games. And even if they did, um, you know, maybe with limited opportunities, they didn't perform in it. So maybe if you give them more quad one, quad two opportunities, they would make the most of it. And I think it would add even more intrigue to the NCAA tournament. I like that approach, that thought, as opposed to expanding the tournament to, to 96 teams, which is something that's been talked about. Next thing I wanted to talk about real quick was just the the bracketologists and the bracketology websites that you'll see out there. And there's a number of them now. There's you know, 20 reputable um, bracketologists now that are giving their projections on what they feel is going to happen with the NCAA tournament field. A couple of the most, uh, you know, respected uh, websites that I just quickly wanted to touch at and show where Gonzaga lies at this moment in time. And I'm recording this Thursday afternoon, March 9th, with lots of basketball to be played. ACC tournament, Big East tournament, Pac-12 tournament, Big 12 tournament, ACC, all these different leagues are going on. So there can still be some movement, maybe negatively for Gonzaga, maybe positively for Gonzaga. I think for Gonzaga, you really got to look at um, UCLA and Arizona in the Pac-12. UCLA just lost Jalen Clark to injury throughout the year. Does that mean they might get knocked off early in the Pac-12 tournament and bump them down a line or two? And same with Arizona, they, with their struggles and their inconsistency over the last couple of weeks of the season. Will they be able to run, make a run to the title game in the Pac-12, or are they going to have an early exit and maybe fall down a little bit on the seed line, allowing Gonzaga to move up? But Joe Lenardi with ESPN has Gonzaga as a three seed in the West, where the one seed is UCLA, the two seed is Texas in his eyes. But he said, feels that Gonzaga is going to be shipped all the way to Albany, New York. Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, um, he has Gonzaga as a two seed in the South with Alabama as the one seed in the South, and he has Gonzaga playing in the pod in Sacramento. 
the Sporting News, another great uh, website that has bracket updates and projections, has Gonzaga as a three seed. They don't have it broken down by region, but he, they did have UCLA and Arizona as one and two, respectively, uh, as seed lines. So just a few things to kind of keep uh, keep in mind about how the NCAA tournament selection committee uh, fields the tournament what they look at as far as in the resume with the strength of schedule, your opponent's strength of schedule, obviously your overall record, uh, but then also your quad one and quad two, uh, quad three and quad four even um, results in those games. Um, so really interesting time of year. This could all change. Um, I have Gonzaga slotted as a three seed right now. I think by being six in the net, uh, by being ranked uh, top 10 in the country, I think three is probably the lowest seed that they will get. I do think there's a big opportunity for them to move up to a, a two seed. I doubt that they would be able to move up into a one seed, but you know what? I think for Gonzaga this year, um, you know, that would be awesome to be a two seed based with all the projections and the expectations coming into this year, the perceived struggles early in the year and how they've been playing over the last six, seven weeks or so uh, has been a lot of fun to watch. So, for Gonzaga Nation SI, appreciate you listening. We will have lots of updates as we head into Selection Sunday, and then the bracket is revealed, and we'll begin to preview all that Gonzaga has in front of them.